All right, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 12, okay? And if you don't have a Bible, we've got these ones for you. Does anyone need a Bible? I want you to follow along with us just so you know that what we say, yeah, here we go. I'm not going to do it. Um, but honestly, raise your hand. What we say is actually in there. And so we're not just throwing words up on the screen uh, and hoping you believe us, right? So you can follow along with us, Acts chapter 12. Uh, and then if you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's our free gift to you. So go ahead and hold on to that one. So turn there. <clears throat> and as you're doing that, let me give you a recap of kind of where we've been. The book of Acts is the story of the early church, right? So Jesus now ascended into heaven, had given kind of this last great commission to the people of God, to his followers, and said, all right, I need you to take the good news that, man, I, I was alive, and I lived a perfect life, and uh, I died a death I did not deserve to die on the cross, and I was raised on the third day, right? Like, go and tell this good news to the people, this good news that, man, you guys are, are wretched and broken, and all of that brokenness and pain and sin was all put upon the shoulders and the body of Jesus as it was was beaten and bruised and bled and killed uh, when he was crucified in Calvary. Like that good news, but not just stopping there, but that three days later, this, this Jesus, this God man, this son of God, the Savior, Messiah of the world, that he rose from the dead, conquering death, and in faith in him, that there is new life for all of us, not just here, but forevermore into eternity. Like go and tell the world that the gospel is the only thing that sets us free. And so what we found is over the last uh, about 20 plus weeks, uh, as we've been going through the book of Acts, it's, it's working, right? We went from a 12 kind of initial followers and Jesus' close 12 that he called to himself, and we're into the tens, if not the hundreds of thousands of people that are part of the church in the early years of the development of the church. Like that, that's how fast this thing has gone. That's how much God was uh, longing to use his church and his people to bring the gospel to the world, that in a few short years, it has exploded to this worldwide, well, let's see, region-wide phenomena in the place, right? Uh, throughout all of, of the Roman Empire, they're hearing news of, of the Christians, these people who follow Jesus and live and embody his values, and this gospel news that is setting people free from physical, emotional, and spiritual pain and detriment. And so that, that's where we've been going. That, that's what's happening in the church. And today what we're going to talk about is how God is doing just as much and longs to do just as much now as he did then. Right? The, the, the church, uh, although I think seemingly when we, when we step back and look at it from a cultural lens, doesn't seem to be having the impact that we see here in the book of Acts, it still very much is a desire of God to use his church to reach and redeem the world. Amen? Do we believe that? Like, do, do we believe as we come here, and, and if you're here and you're a Christian, I'm, I'm specifically talking to you right now. Do you believe that Jesus has raised up the church, that God has raised up the church to be a blessing, a light, a city on a hill, a hope for all of the world? Like, do, do we actually believe that? Or do we think the church is an event? Like, do we think the church is from 10 to 11.30 on Sunday mornings, potentially, if you go to a small group, like 7 to 8.30 on Wednesday night, and if you're super holy, maybe you have a mentor and you do an hour a week. Is that just the church? Or is the church an embodied people by the presence of the Spirit moved outward and sent to see the redemption of all the world? I think the reality is, is that myself included, 
far too many Christians in the church today would identify from a cognitive standpoint, yes, I believe that. But from a functional, the way our feet actually hit the ground, I don't know if it's all that true. I think we generally live as if this moment right now is church. Like we've done church if we've come here and we can leave the mission, the calling, the equipping and all of that to the side because that is for 2,000 years ago. And that is just false. And I would dare say demonic. Like I think that is truly a lie and a tactic of the devil to get us complacent that we would just say, oh, well, we're good because we checked this off the box. Now, everything I'm saying, you've probably heard in a sermon before. Like This isn't revolutionary. The church needs to wake up. We talk about it even often here. But the text today, I think, allows for us to delve deeper in the reality that it is God behind the scenes who wants to use our church and the church across our city, state, nation, and world to continue to see the redemption of this whole world. Amen? Okay. So one of the issues that I think a big reason why we haven't gotten there is because I don't know how often uh, we really buy into what this says. And so I was doing some research, and, and George Barna and the Barna Group, they did a, a kind of a research study about Christianity in America recently, and it's, uh, I mean, just took time, I think it was over 10 years, I mean, just really pouring into the data uh, of, where, of where Christians land today in our country. Um, and one of the stats that came out of this, and I read it just like on a tweet somewhere, so I was a little skeptical at first, but it said um, that only 17% of Christians in America have a biblical worldview, okay? 17% of Christians in America have a biblical worldview. Um, and, and, but then I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, how are they defining biblical worldview? Because that's important. To, if we're going to say, hey, only you know, less than one in five of us in the room uh, have a worldview that, that would lift this up, is like, okay, I'm going to read the world and understand the world, understand my life, my role in it through this lens. Uh, there's only one in five and a little bit under that. Uh, what did that mean? And so um, th- they clarified it for us. And there were six different things that in order to have a biblical worldview per this study that you would have to believe as a Christian. So the first one, believing that absolute moral truth can exist, okay? Uh, I, I think that's, that's one that, again, we've wrapped, okay, that sounds pretty good. The next one is the Bible is accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Third is Satan is considered to be a real being or force, not merely a symbolic figure. Four, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works. Five, Jesus lived a sinless life on earth. And six, God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules today. Now, those six things, right? Like, honestly, like if you took a step back, those are not things that whole denominations have split split off of, right, for that didn't make sense, that have like divided over, right? These are things that for 2,000 years, Orthodox Christianity has all said, yeah, no, we believe that. Like every creed, Nicene, apostles, whatever, it's all going to say, yeah, those six things, not even a question. But then you come to America in 2017, and 17% of Christians in our country believe that the Bible is the way to see the world. And that those six things, which again, they're not like super deep. This is like stuff I learned when I got saved, like first year discipleship. Yeah, that God is all powerful. Yes, Satan's a real being. Yes, I can't earn my way to heaven. Yes, moral absolutes exist. I learned that when I was a child. 
Like, and so it, it baffles me then that if we're called to be the church that we'll study about today, we're called to be the church we've looked at for the last 20 plus weeks, how are we ever supposed to believe that that stuff's true if we don't even believe the basics? The reality is, is that whatever Anthony or myself, we can get up here and rail on our, listen, and on our hearts. Like Anthony and I will often talk about when we preach this, we're like, dude, this is just, this is right to us. Okay, so, here, so all of us, right? How, how are we supposed to delve into being the church we'll talk about if we don't even believe this thing is true and the basic things that it teaches? If we can't believe the basics, we're not going to believe the nuances that are going to tell you and tell me that we're supposed to live lives of sacrifice for the benefit of the other. Because that's difficult. Like, just believing in an all-powerful creator, God, that should be easy, right? Like, that sounds fun and exciting. Like, there's this God and this being that's bigger than us. And If we don't believe that, and then we're supposed to come up here and I'm supposed to read the word and trust the Holy Spirit to convict me to say, hey, no, like, like Anthony preached last week. And if you weren't here for last week's sermon, please go back and listen to it because it's an important imperative message. What does it mean for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, that everyone around is our neighbor, that that, that type of love is sacrificial in its very being? I can't, it's like, how do we expect our church and the church across our country to move more into a selfless, sacrificial, gospel-centered love for our neighbor and for this world if we just can't even get the stuff that's just right there. So uh, think about it. If, if there's 150 people in the room right now, you say, we say about usually about 10 to 15%, we think that usually come on a Sunday are, are not Christians in this room, so let's knock off, what's that, like 20, 25 people? Uh, and, then, and then we say about 17% of that number. So it works out to about 20 people in the room would have a biblical worldview in here. Now, now not obviously, you put it over redemption, and we're perfect. So it's not our problem. There's this whole other churches that have it wrong, right? Now, I say that as a joke. But do we not often just punt that way? Well, that's, that's, that's not about me. Because I'm... I'm sold out, right? Or, or, we, or it's not even, you wouldn't even claim that you're sold out. You're just like, well, that's just not me because, and then we, I'm, I'm asking us, this, is, this whole intro is all a why moment for us to say, why care about what we're about to talk about? Okay. About what the important reality of God using his church in the world is. And that we need to, we need to take a step in and say, all right, well then, if that's true, and I believe this, then I guess these two things need to come, again, come together in my obedience, in my service, in my love for people and for God's church. Okay, so um, the last thing I'll say before we jump into the text um, is that the important aspect that you cannot miss in everything I'll, I'm going to say here is that it is God who is doing all the work here, okay? Um, like it is the power of God, it is the Holy Spirit that is doing the work in us and through us. So anything we talk about is not something for anyone to ever boast in. It's not something for the early church to boast in. It's all the work of God, which is good news for us. Because if it was just about us working hard enough to change the world, it would never happen. But if the all-sovereign, all-powerful, all-good God 
is the one who's doing everything behind the scenes, then maybe, just maybe, a faithful people have a fighting chance of being part of God's mission. Amen? All right, let's open up to Acts 12, verse 25. We're going to look at four realities of God equipping his church, calling his church, sending his church, and using his church. Beginning verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, uh, the reality of the church in Antioch, if you're not too familiar, is they were like a rock star church, right? Like they, they were the church that's like putting out all the really good stuff online, right? That, that makes people say, well, I don't need to go to church. I'll just listen to this stuff online. They got banging worship. They're putting out CDs and they're sending lots of money and people to the world. Like Antioch was crushing it. And they were developing and equipping their people and then sending their people out. So Paul, so well, Saul, after he gets saved, if you don't know who Saul is, just think greatest persecutor of the church becomes greatest evangelist for the church. So the greatest persecutor, Saul, gets saved, and then before God sends him out, he says, you know what I need you to do? I need you to go to church in Antioch, and he spends years there with these guys being developed and equipped and strengthened and poured into, and the word is developed in him that then he goes out and becomes what? The world's greatest evangelist, plants church after church. And his is just one story amidst the story of the church in Antioch equipping people for the work of ministry. And so what we get here in this list is just kind of a rundown of different names, which on the whole don't mean a ton to us. But if you run through there, you see there's different preachers, there's different teachers, there's prophets. There are people that are being raised up in this context for the sake of the, church, the Antioch church's mission in the world. God equips his church, that every single, hear me, every single one of you in here, if you are a Christian, is being continually equipped by God for his service. So all the, man, I don't, I don't know if I can do it stuff, is true. You on your own cannot do it. But because God has so equipped you, placed his spirit inside you, and given you gifts and talents, and resources, you are as equipped as you ever need be. There's a verse in verse Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Maybe you're familiar with it. It says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so, so if you're here and you're a Christian, right, like Lord and Savior, Jesus, he's yours, you're his, all that good stuff, right, you believe in the gospel, you have been equipped with the Holy Spirit and given, been given gift or gifts to be used for the common good. So not just here, for the common good, not the individual good of Jeff. Not, not the inv individual good for Dane, not the individual good for Vince, but the or, sorry, not for the common good. So across the room, there is not one person in here who loves Jesus that is his, that has not been equipped with something God has called you to use, not for yourself, but for the sake of everyone around you. Amen. And now, the, the question then becomes, like, do, do we explore that reality? Like, how often are you engaging with, okay, God, what, what have you gifted me in and with, and how do I use that for the sake of others? 
How am I called? How have you blessed me and equipped me that I might bless and equip others? And this is not a new thing for the church uh, 2,000 years ago. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. God, when he first chooses and raises up the nation Israel, calls Abraham and says that you will be blessed to be a blessing. So church, you are blessed to be a blessing, equipped to be a blessing to the world for the common good of all those in our world, the redemption of all things. That is why. That, that is what church is, is an equipped people by the power of the Spirit. So what is your gift, and are you using it? But then, but then two, are you continually pursuing equipping in your life? Are you continually pursuing development and discipleship and growth in your life? Or have you already arrived and you feel like no new learning need happen? Now, Again, I think from a cognitive standpoint, like if I just sat down and you and I, we grabbed coffee and, and I said, hey, do you think like you've arrived and you're just, you're set, you don't need to learn anymore? Uh, I don't know if there's a Christian in here that would say yes to that because that would just be embarrassing, right? Like, oh yeah, no, I'm good. I'd be like, no, you're not, okay? And then you say, yes, I am and say, no, you're not. And then you'd say, yes, I am. And then you guys are say, so... Not one of you would say that to, I think, anyone else's face in here. But if we just, let's just take a, a simple illustration. Um, how often do you think, and I, I like to do this and test people here at our church just for fun, not because I think, I'm not, I don't care that much, but um, when I see someone midweek, do I ask them, where did they learn or how they applied what we talked about on Sunday? Okay? I ask all the time, how often do you think, percentage-wise, people give me an answer back. Toss out some numbers. Oh, 10. Geez, that's terrible. You were pessimistic, Curtis. No kidding. It's about, about 20. I'd say one in five. One in five people. Now, listen, I get it. Like, I'm up here talking for 30, 40 minutes a Sunday. You can't remember everything I say, and why would you want to, right? But at the same time, there should be something in there that's like, oh, yeah. Or especially when Anthony and I get to the end and we say, hey, like, this is the thing we want you to do. Like, go and do this one thing. And that, that gets lost too. And not to mention that Andy does a phenomenal job of like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on, on our website, social media, videos, blogs, whatever, saying, hey, did you reflect on this? This is what we're reflecting on. What did you think? Da, 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 da. It's, it's there. And so here's what I know is that oftentimes we show up to this place not expecting growth or change or equipping or to become different after we leave. We show up because that's what we do and we like something that happens here. Do you come to this place as an opportunity to become more like Jesus so you can be more like Jesus in this world for the common good? Or do you come here because this is church? Because this is not church. This is a thing that the church does. We worship. We preach. We open the word of God. We live in community. We celebrate the gospel. That's all this is. Okay? So... The question just becomes, are we pursuing equipping? There are multiple avenues for that here. There are lots of men and women that would love to pour into your life in our mentorship program. If you need a mentor, come and find one. If you don't have one, get one. There's communities that you should be involved in if you don't have biblical Christian community. Get involved in that. Okay. Pursue development and growth and the constant equipping of the Holy Spirit in your life through the church. Okay. And, and, and hear me. Uh, Maybe some of you are just visiting. Uh, that doesn't mean Redemption Church, just to clarify. I don't care where it is, what local expression of the body of God that you are part of. Be part of that and get developed there. 
Become more like Christ. Okay, that's the first one. God equips. Moving on. Uh, verse 2. Man, we are moving fast. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, so God equips his church. He gives them his spirit, a call, like sets them up for success, and then now God calls his church. And so while they were praying and fasting to the Lord, God speaks and says, you know what, I'm going to call these guys towards this thing. Okay. So, so listen, God did not just give you gifts and, and, and not just give you resources and not just give, he did these things and now he says, all right, now that you have these things, I am going to raise you up and call you out and identify you and say, there's something for you. Now, this can be somewhat of a slippery slope, and I've seen it oftentimes within the church where people get really locked into, like, I need this moment, right? Like, like I need to be kind of hanging around with my friends and, and, some, and like, hear an audible voice from the ceiling that says, hey, set apart for me the veaches for they are going to, and then insert your thing, right? Like, that, that's, that's probably not going to happen. Now, if that happens for you, Tell me, because I want to go to that same room. That sounds awesome, right? So, but that's probably not going to happen. But what you can do is you can return to this and realize that at every level, God has already called us to much. He's called us to be ambassadors for him, right? He's called us to be witnesses, called us to do the work of the evangelist, called us to love our neighbors, ourselves. Like the calling of God, listen, you don't need like this audible specific all the time. Now, sometimes that comes, absolutely, and I love when that happens, but it's not always going to come. And so just wait around, waiting for something to happen when God has already called his church to much. Okay. Don't abuse it either. I oftentimes hear stories of, of people saying, oh, well, well, God told me this and God told me that, and then how do you ever refute that argument, Right? Like, hey, hey, I'm going to go, you know, shoot that guy. <laughs> I've never heard that story. But just something, you know, like, just like, wow, uh, that's confession. Um, no, so, no, like people saying, well, I, I think I'm supposed to go and do this. And I'm like, okay, well, everything about what I know about you and what I know about what everyone would say about you, that would seem like a terrible idea. And then they say, well, well God told me. And I said, well, well, how do I debate that? Like, if God told you, well, then I guess, like, how am I going to push against that? Now, listen, that means it's, it's up to you to work through discernment, but it also means you should be in biblical community who can talk to you and say, is that the best idea? Is that what the Lord is saying? Because he's not just going to speak to you. Notice how this calling comes. The calling does not come with Saul and Barnabas hanging out by themselves in a closet. No, it comes in the community of the people of God as they fast and pray, and they, God speaks to all of them and says, this is what should happen. So too often, we're just kind of, we're sitting over here, and, well, I think God's saying this. Usually, I don't even say usually, sometimes it's, it's translated as, well, I really want to do this, so I'll slap the God label on it, okay? Now, maybe he's doing that. That's awesome. But be in community, be around people who love you, who trust you, who also have a biblical worldview, and will say, yeah, no, I affirm that. I hear that. I see that for your life as well, okay? So absolutely important, okay? Um, in the end, God is sovereign, okay? And so, like, 
Acts 17 tells us that he appoints the times and the places and the boundaries that you and I dwell. We might seek him and find him. And so, listen, even if you choose, like, you're just like, ah, I, I think this is where I'm supposed to go, and you go, you're, listen, God's got you. Like, he, he is bigger than your and I mistakes, right? Like, he knows how to take care and orchestrate this world. If you look at the lineage of Jesus, it's chalked full, full, chalked full of just all sorts of brokenness and terrible decision-making. Right? Like he comes from the lineage of an adulterous affair, for crying out loud. Like that's what God does. He redeems our bad decisions. And so, listen, pursue what you think God is calling you to. Do it in wise counsel and then rest knowing God. If every morning you and I wake up and equipped people called by God and are going and seeking to pursue his mission in the world, listen, even if you think you're in the wrong spot, right spot, God has got you. That's good news. Okay. So God calls his church. Verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. God sends his church. So, so okay, he, he equips them. He gives them everything necessary. Then he identifies, hey, here's what I want you to do. And then it's not just, hey, we know what we're supposed to do. We're equipped to do it. And then we just stay here. No, no, it's they've been equipped to do a work. They've been called to do that work. So now go and do that work. This is where oftentimes I think the church kind of just says, well, I'm good. Like we, we know, like that's what I'm saying. When I sit down and I have conversations with some of you or a lot of you or, or none of I mean, when we talk and I ask questions, you're like, every answer you'll get right. But then we start talking about our lives. And this is, this is me being on, like my life too. Verity and I oftentimes will talk about, man, just how I feel like I'm so lacking in the, in, in the sending aspect of what I'm talking about today. I'm like, man, I know everything, well, everything. I know a lot of what the Bible says, right? I, I think I know what it calls my life to be about, and yet oftentimes I find myself sitting at home watching Netflix. Not that, gosh, and that sounds, not that not watching Netflix is a terrible thing, but if that's your life, then that's a problem, okay? And not saying that was, you know, never mind. God sends his church out, called and equipped. And we have to know that what is supposed to happen in this place is that you are equipped here, and the calling of God is constantly reverberated through these seats and these walls, whether it's through the preaching of the word, through the singing of worship, or the community that you guys experience. That you would know, okay, that's... that's being reformed in this moment about a true story of the world, about what your life is supposed to be about, church. And then guess what? You have to leave, right? Like in, at 11.30, which we aim for, which I'm sorry, we might be a scotch over today. Um, at 11.30, we, we kick you out, right? And you spend some time in community in the lobby. Some of you hang over there. You do connect desks, whatever. But then you go. Like God is literally sending you out to the world and equipped and called people. But you would go and be ministers of his grace to the world. And so Paul and, and Barnabas are sent out and they begin to see God work as they proclaim the word of God to the Jews. And they tell them about what Jesus has done. They tell them of the gospel that sets people free. That's about the redemption and the restoration of this world. They are sent out. We too are a sent people. I hope we believe that. We always say this uh, in our roots class. We feel like we've been sent specifically into four different environments. The first one it, we, we call the pew. It's the four Ps. And we do it because 
we're a church, and you have to do alliteration, okay? And so the four Ps, the first one is pew, right? Like, in other words, you're, you're sent to the church and in the church. Like, you go to church stuff, and you do church things, and you engage with the community and the people of God. So, man, go and be a sent people, called and equipped to serve and to bless your neighbor within the context of the church, the pew. The second one we say is your profession, right? Like, you, you're sent to your work. You will spend about half, a third to a half of your waking hours of your entire life at work. And so God is sending you into your profession. Go and be a devout Christian in your profession. That means work with the best work ethic. Do your best that you possibly can. Contribute to the flourishing of the common good of all of those around you through what you do and to the people that are there. And if you get chances, open your mouth and share the gospel. You're also sent to a third context, which we call... Um, I lost it. I should just know this. Oh, your place. I just want to get in order. You're sent to your place. In other words, where you live right? That everyone in here lives somewhere different except for the people you came here with, right? And so um, where you live, your neighbors, your circle of influence, you have been sent there too. So be an equipped, called Christian who's proclaiming and being part of the redemption, the mission of God there. And then lastly, we say the playground. In other words, where do you guys recreate? Where do you have fun? If you game and you do some of the public game and stuff, like my man Jeff over there just crushing that Magic the Gathering over at the gaming thing, uh, go there. <laughs> What's it called? What's it called? Comic Rama or Geekery. If you're over at, that's amazing. So if you're over at Geekery, just crushing gaming. Be a called, equipped Christian while you're doing that. Right? If, if you recreate by, by, I mean, a lot of outdoor folks, right? So you're like Josh, and you're going there rock climbing. Be a called and equipped and sent Christian to that place of recreation. Everywhere you go, we have a saying here, all of life is all for Jesus, that everything we do, Jesus cares about at all times in every place. Okay. You are a sent people, a called people and an equipped people. And let's wrap it up with the last one. Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came uh, upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, uh, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, which is Bar-Jesus, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was first called Paul, or who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and able to see for some time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord." And so these, these sent guys now end up in this place, and they're, they're now preaching to this pro-council. And this guy was like the leader of the whole region, a very influential person within that region, right? And he is now in this, this kind of spiritual tussle between uh, Paul and Barnabas and the message and the gospel of Jesus and this false gospel, this false teaching of Bar-Jesus trying to sway him. And so what we see is God coming through and using his church for his glory. So it's not just, okay, I've equipped these guys, I've developed these guys, I've discipled these guys, and I'll continue to do that. And then I've called them, I've said, this is what I want you to do. You can see that in your word, but you can also see it through that calling of God. And then I've sent them to this place. They're going now. They're not just going to huddle up by themselves. And guess what? When they get there, God will use the church. It's not just go for the sake of going. It's go because when you go, God works. It's go because when you go, God will do far more than we can ever believe. 
That God is the one who's ultimately on mission, that wants to save this entire city and world and was redeeming the whole thing. And instead of leaving his creation to the side and saying, I'll do this by myself, he invites his people, the church, into being part of it. A equipped, called, sent, and useful people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, are we that? Yes. We just need to realize it more. You're those things in here, whether you believe it or not, because it's not contingent on you. God's equipping you, and you don't even know it. Okay? God's calling you through his word because his spirit lives inside you, who is the counselor and convictor. Okay? He's sent you to the world because, again, you have to leave here. You exist in multiple contexts in your life where he's calling you and equipping you and sending you to be his. And guess what? Even in the midst of your failures, your lack of speaking up, your terrible decisions, your mistakes, God is going to use you for his purposes. The responsibility of the church, and I think of us this morning, is to take serious the word of God that says these are true about us, so let's live like we believe it. And let's continue to try and push deeper into how God would want to start that chain with equipping us to be more like Christ, that when we go to the world, we would be used by him in greater and more amazing ways than we ever thought possible. There's a, uh, I'll land with this story. Um, there is a, a pastor, and I've shared this once before, so you've been around for a while, you've probably heard this, but this pastor in San Diego, and he's a, a church that I would kind of go to because I was a college student, so off and on when I felt like it. And so I just happened to go that Sunday, and uh, he was talking about that same text I talked about in the beginning, that First Corinthians text about how God calls and gives gifts to each in the church and, and how uh, you, know, like you need to utilize them. And then he goes on to use this imagery in the book of Corinthians about the body. And he says the church is like a body, and in each, you know, the body has many parts, and everyone at this, at, you know, in God's church is a part of the body of Christ, each one gifted for different things, okay? And so he's running down the list, and he says, well, the brain does this, and he's getting into some of the scientific facts about the brain, which is incredible, and he's like, and the heart does this, you know, it's pumping blood to your body, and the whole crescendo of his message was he said, listen, don't be the butt, Okay? Like, that, that was his message, okay? And I don't mean to be crap. Like, that, that was his whole thing. Don't be the butt. For, just don't be the butt. Be a heart. Be a brain. Don't be the butt. And it took all that was in me, right, to not just, like, yell out, like, no, no, like, be the butt. Like, if you're the butt, be the butt. Now, that sounds so silly, and we're saying the word butt multiple times from the pulpit at church. But whatever God has called you to, you need to be that. Okay? You don't need to aspire to be the brain. That's the exact opposite of what that text is trying to tell us. Because for far too often, we, we live in this church reality where we're like competing to be a better part of the body, which is just foolishness. And that's what, why churches fight with other churches, why they don't unify oftentimes because they're all trying to be a certain part of the body they think is the best part. Okay. If, if, we're, if we're the, let's just switch to hand. If we're the hand, let's be the hand, guys. And then let's get, we bring it into the microcosm of redemption, flagstaff, whatever your role is here in our family at this church, be that. 
but be it knowing you are equipped because God equips you. Always pursue that. Okay? Believe that God has called you. Like No matter what your story is, no matter how unworthy you think you are being part of his plans, he has called you to be part of his plans because you're his and you're part of his church and he has commands for his church. He has callings for his church. So guess what? He sent you out. He's, he said, go to these places. Go to the church. Go to your playgrounds where you recreate. Go to your work, your profession. Do whatever and then do it knowing I will ultimately use you even though you're still kind of a dumb not great, imperfect person because Jesus has made us sufficient. The gospel has made us worthy and useful for his kingdom and his glory. So I just rally us to say, come on, church. Like, let, let's just be who we, who we know we are supposed to be and stop treating this moment like it's church. I believe the city of Flagstaff, there's a verse in Proverbs that says when, when the people of God, it says when the righteous rejoice, this, sorry, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Okay. And the background of that verse is essentially saying that when the people of God, when, the, when Israel would be blessed, that the city around them who were largely non-Christian, non-Jew, that they would celebrate and rejoice because they knew that when the people of God live like the people of God are supposed to live, that the whole world is blessed. And I just ask us, as we leave this place, would the city of Flagstaff rejoice because our church, because the church, or because you as a Christian were blessed? Would they know, man, that person just got, just got loaded up in blessing, whatever that may be, would they celebrate? Would your neighbor celebrate because you were blessed? Because the expectation was, yeah, the church, oh man, they just give it away because they believe this thing and they have a biblical worldview. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your glory. We thank you, God, that you bring about conviction. We thank you, God, that Man, you just you don't let us stay in the same spot, and God, that's not uh, that, that's not because like you couldn't you couldn't accomplish your your uh, your mission without us. God, thank you that you often, like most of the time, accomplish your mission in spite of us. But Lord, I pray that we would just come together as a people this morning in prayer and response, and and just say, yeah, like this is who we are. This is what the church is. We are, a, we are a family before you, Lord. We ask that you would continue to equip us this morning. Make us more like your son. God, that you would, man, love us and shape us. God, that you would, man, that you would convict us, that you would discipline us if necessary. God, because man, we long for more. God, I pray that the city of Flagstaff would truly rejoice. I pray... Honestly, whatever Coral Evans is doing this morning, God, and all the council and all the, all the officials that run our city, God, that they would hear about the work and the blessings that are happening across the churches in our city, and they would celebrate because they know that means common good for the city of Flagstaff. God, will we be a people who love your word, who obey your word, and love being with you, Christ? Holy Spirit, thank you you're here with us. 
Make us more like Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.